0: All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. For the last couple of years, I've been looking into how I can get a master's or a doctorate. I just have a bachelor's of science, and with the master's, it cost, you know, ten to $20,000, and then you look at, is that ever going to pay off? And then if you look at the doctorate, is that an extra $30,000 on top of the $20,000? And so uh, the people at Indiana State, the doctorate athletic training program reached out, and so we're kind of working together to answer some of those questions about a doctorate of athletic training, a, a PhD, and the master's of athletic training. Again, working together of which one fits when and where. So this is the beginning of a three-part conversation where we talk about the DAT today. We're going to talk about the PhD next week. And then the week after or whenever it is, we will talk about why choose one versus the other. So it's an interesting conversation as we have Matthew Drescher. He is... He completed his doctorate at Indiana State University and is currently working on his Ph.D., and so we will cover that more of that in the second conversation. We're talking about which one to choose and why. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash D-A-T. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash D-A-T, and I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Matthew, thanks for joining me, and enlighten me on what, uh, what it looks like to get the DAT. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. I guess on that, that note, like what it is a DAT. So I guess physically the DAT is a post-professional degree program. It's a clinical doctorate, stands for doctor of athletic training, um, focused. Most of the programs that are currently across the country are focused on clinical education, um, advanced clinical education and clinical leadership. Um, but, I kind of look at the DAT in a different light. So I tend to look at it as a um, metaphysical kind of idea of it. It's, it's a mindset uh, to me. The DAT is uh, a commitment to the profession to be a leader and push forward, um, promote advanced practice leadership, promote us as a profession, as healthcare care providers, um, and helping lead the profession forward, and understanding that. Um, That's a hard thing to do, but we can do hard things. And the DAT is a a commitment to that mindset, to continue um, doing what's right for the profession and moving it forward.
0: Obviously, the DAT stands for Doctorate of Athletic Training. And so, when I was talking to Devin and about the blood flow restriction, there was Mm -hmm. just some questions that he had that I didn't think of. This is my seventeenth year as a professional. I went through a bachelor's program, through the internship program. So I don't even have a formal athletic training education. And so one of the reasons that I am interested in the doctorate is because I there was so much stuff that I missed out on. There was so much stuff that wasn't included in my education that I would I would like to learn or like to think differently about, right? And so, again, tell me a little bit more about what I would expect to get out of or learn or take away from the Doctorate of Athletic Training Program.
1: Let's preface this um, in more of a conversation about the post-professional space. The beauty of like this post-professional education and these doctorate programs, We have there's multiple ones across the country. And the beauty of a post-professional degree is that it can be marketed to the market. So all of the programs hit on the same central tenets, but they all do them in a different way. And when you're thinking about going into this level of education, it's really about aligning that with your values. I can talk about the ISU DAT um, and what I learned. Um, part of that was really how to be a clinical leader, what it looks like to be that, that person, the person who does hard things, the person who asks the hard questions, um, in a, and promoting yourself as a lifelong learner. Um, and that's something that I value immensely. Some other programs focus um, on different aspects. So I know we focus a lot on manual therapy and advanced manual therapy skills. Some programs focus on more of the leadership aspect um, and um, what we call practice-based research. But each program has a little bit of a nuance. And so if you're, I would say in general, looking to what you would expect from a DAT program is that um, mindset, that thinking differently uh, of, problems in situations and how to overcome them in a, at a systems level, at a um, micro level, and then at a personal level to promote yourself and the profession. I think the conversation of, um, of why one or the other, uh, which we'll talk about in upcoming podcasts, is, is also based on kind of that value system and what you're valuing um, so for example jeremy you said you have 17 years of experience um, and you're running this podcast and, and putting yourself and promoting yourself out there um, so you it seems like you already have some of that mindset to keep going to be better to push better um, and some people have that and some people don't but if that's something you want to to cultivate and to bring up then I think a DAT is an excellent uh, aspect and an excellent adjunct to being able to do that.
0: Again, it just, it adds the value. So one of the things that that I've always said that before I leave this school district, which is Pasadena ISD, I want to be part of the change in creating a intermediate athletic trainer, so intermediates, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so in the seventh and eighth grade, they play sports. But they don't have an athletic trainer. So they'll have football and basketball, volleyball there to take care of those athletic injuries. One of the reasons I want to possibly pursue the DAT is, again, being able to, I guess, carry more credibility, more influence with saying, hey, Dr. Jackson recommends that we have athletic trainers in all of our uh, intermediate schools rather than, you know, Jeremy Jackson athletic trainer level. And so you talk about, making changes at the system level. How do you think that that helps me changes plays out for me? Things like that.
1: So I actually, I think you make a really good point of, um, I guess you could call it the clout that having that title would bring, right? Saying Dr. Jackson suggests this. Um, but, um, part of the, that mindset of the DAT is it's, it's not really about the degree to the outside world. It it's, it's easier concept to understand if you're a doctor versus you're not a doctor. But when you're with, when you're working with a DAT, um, the concept is not necessarily the clout, but it's the skill and the, the knowledge to be able to make the changes, to know the steps to how those changes have to be made, right? You can't just run in and say, put an athletic trainer here, please. It's, it's knowing how to line up all of the blocks to work with you. And that's what I mean more about a systems level change. Um, because at at that level, the systems are dynamic and they're complex. So being able to know how to speak that language, to align the blocks, to prove that value and worth, that's something, those are skills that a DAT degree can give you um, on top of the confidence and the credibility that the degree itself carries. I would argue that your experience carries a lot, but you are also going to have to explain what that means to someone who's not familiar with athletic training. Whereas the degree on top of your experience and then on top of that, those skills are going to help you carry that out. I look at it more of like a, a medium to carry the skill versus a, a be all end all push.
0: Yeah. Essentially if I've never learned how to negotiate a deal, then I'm not going to be very good at it. But if I learn, Hey, Hey, Here are the skills to help you change the mindset, to help you look at the system level rather than just trying to push something up the chain. But taking a step back and looking at it from, you know, the administrator level and about maybe even from Mm -hmm. the healthcare level from this. So all the different ways that you can approach that can definitely help you implement the change and continue to grow. Mm
1: -hmm. All
0: right. So some of the uh, again, talking about the ISU DAT, do you know how old it is?
1: So uh, I believe we're in our fifth cohort and we're working on the sixth starting in June.
0: All right. So going on six years, where are some of your graduates from the ISU DAT program now?
1: They are all over the place. Um, some of them are working at division one colleges. Um, one of them is now working at university of Michigan. I believe um, a lot of them are working in the industrial setting. Um, or in major hospital systems. Um, so at a clinic level um, or at a physician's clinic level. So really the a lot of our graduates are working across the board. Um, and a lot of our graduates are creating those positions for themselves as well. So part of it is getting them into the spot, but then part of it is the degree itself talking about making change at the system level, advocating for yourself. They're able to get in there and say, oh, also, I'm an athletic trainer. Athletic trainers deserve more because we are more than what you think we are. And I think for a lot of athletic trainers, we, uh, when we are looking for jobs, we hit that roadblock of the the business is only going to pay us X amount of money because that's what their um, higher ups, the, the people who make that budget see the value of athletic trainers. So one of the things that our DAT graduates have been able to do is go in and say, actually, we're worth more than this and here's why and here's my clinical outcomes here's my the advanced skill set that we can do as a profession we are worth more and they're they're creating that system for themselves but they're also setting a precedent for the next athletic trainer after them or the next one they hire to come in and and the system's already set up to value that position so they're all over the country as well but they're also uh, making that change at a local level and hopefully that's Um, branching out into more of a regional and a systems
0: level all right when i've looked at getting a master's degree from uh, lamar university online which is here about an hour and a half away and and almost Mm -hmm. all of it is online and i would say it's mostly just to have the master's degree just to have that extra thousand dollars a year whatever it is mostly if i was chasing the master's of education it it is around like fifteen dollars or $20,000. So if I was to apply for the doctorate athletic training at ISU, again, different programs, different costs, different things like that. But what would I be looking at financially right now?
1: Um, I don't personally, I don't have those numbers, like the exact numbers right now. Um, in general, I, I want to ballpark it and I, I don't want to speak at a turn here, but ballpark it around, 30 to 35,000. And that might be over, overzealous, but, um, yeah, I I would ballpark it around there.
0: That's about what I was thinking is, you know, around somewhere around $32,000 for getting the doctorate. And so if I was to spend $20,000 to get the masters and then $32,000 to get the doctorate, obviously that wouldn't work out. But one of the interesting things I know about your doctorate of athletic training program there is that if I just have a bachelor's, I can still apply. I can still do the Doctorate of Athletic Training, correct? Yes. All right, so tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Uh, so, one of the reasons that we are one of the few programs that would accept someone with just a bachelor's, a lot of the DAT programs require a master's degree, but one of the reasons we, we accept students uh, with either degree is because the, the DAT in our program is not designed to be the, the next block on the tower. Um, it's really, we designed the DAT to be um, a program that enhances you as an athletic trainer. And what you, it's not necessary that you have already have a post-professional degree, a master's degree or something like that, to be able to be that athletic trainer for yourself. Um, and we see the value in everyone's experience. So we also saw that what there's it's a big ask to say to someone who wants to get their DAT, Okay, yes, but you have to go spend two years in a masters program to be eligible when in reality we wanna we wanna give you the mindset and the experience um of the DAT, of our DAT program and so it didn't didn't make sense for us to put that limit on a system when it really wasn't necessary.
0: And that again, that would be a huge hurdle for me as I basically wouldn't do that because uh, anybody listening to the podcast regularly knows I have three biological kids, a foster daughter. They range from ten to one, and so obviously thinking about paying for school for them and those kind of things uh, definitely factors in. You know, we're paying off our house this summer, so we'll be completely debt free.
1: And I want and to congratulations, home. by the way. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, so I'll be forty years old and completely debt free, and yeah, that that's really exciting. So, Dodo change the family's financial tree. So they, you know, the whole family will see the benefit of that as, as they go down my kids and everything like that. Um, so we won't ever borrow money again. Um, and then I know a lot of times finding a scholarship for a doctorate program is really difficult. Do you have any idea about what financial aid for a DAT looks like at ISU?
1: So I don't necessarily know, um, of the scholarship opportunities. I was fortunate enough to be a graduate assistant here, um, which that itself entails a tuition waiver. Um, I do understand that most people aren't in a position to be a graduate assistant. Um, And I I am fortunate that I was at the time that I applied and uh, got accepted into the DAT. Um, But there are options out there for scholarships and things of that nature. Um, but it it is a lot less uh, abundant in graduate level education than it would be in a typical undergraduate level education. Um, so most students do incur some cost relative to the education, um, even whether or not they are graduate assistants or uh, they're paying through loans or out of pocket or things like that. Um, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but um, that's something that our faculty could uh, one a better answer than I could. And also um, just reaching out to the school's financial aid system itself and seeing what's available for um, students who might want to take this route.
0: Right. For sure. You know, all, all that's uh, individual base, you know, whether or not you're making $80,000 a year and single or, you know, right. whether you're different races that, or different, uh, whatever it is, different backgrounds that, make you more available for other scholarship, different scholarships, different things like that, different funding. Obviously it's individual. And so I know that I've, I've looked and I've asked and talked to people and they said, uh, well you can apply for loans. And so I just haven't really found any good source of scholarship for doctoral work. So, all right. You keep talking about the mindset, the DAT is a mindset. Mm -hmm. And so I know Dr. Games talked about that on the podcast back when we were in Las Vegas, last time we had the live NATA, Um, talking about just the mindset there. So what are some of the really big things that your former students have said their praises, their elevator pitches, some of their flyer quotes that you put, you know, put out there kind of thing like that.
1: If you check out the, uh, Indiana state DAT Twitter, which is at ISU Apple training. Um, we've been actually doing a post series about former uh, or current alum who are doing this. Um, and it's a post series kind of about the same thing of what the DATs brought to them. But um, from at least uh, the my cohort, um, who I was very close with, I know that uh, the biggest praise is the mind, uh, and I keep saying it, the mindset, but uh, um, ability to go out and, and ha- have the agency to make change. So we talked about it a little bit earlier, but a, lo- a lot of alum are making change in their workplaces that they want to see um, instead of accepting Uh, the situation for what it is, but it's also an idea of um, the alum being able to accept circumstances that are out of their control. So making change at a local level and things you can control instead of trying to wrestle the whole system um, that is ultimately not in your control. So what I found in in my own personal life is that uh, agency to be the change is probably the chief praise of the program and what most of our alum are gathering um, as they go, they continue in their jobs or they start new jobs. Uh, That's what the DAT has benefited them to do.
0: All right. So other than chief praise, what are some of the other good things that they've said, the other positive feedback?
1: So one of the biggest things that I found, uh, not only when I applied, but going through the program is is the connection to the faculty and um, our adjunct faculty. So we put on a uh, on-campus intensive learning weekend, uh, once a semester, and typically we bring in a lot of adjunct faculty. So leaders in the profession, um, other educators from different schools, and they are able to add to the program and the curriculum, and being able to connect with not only the core faculty, but these adjunct faculty and network um, at that level is a massive uh, benefit and praise that I would see if, that I felt in the program. Um, we've done collaborations with uh, leaders in the profession in research opportunities and uh, talking opportunities and mentorship opportunities. So there's a there's a huge connection aspect to our program that I think is massively beneficial, and it's. It spans the the cohort style. It spans the 25 people that you start in the program with. It's the previous cohorts. It's the future cohorts. The faculty, adjunct faculty, um, and the family that the ISU is, um, along with, um, like, like I said, adjunct faculty and then their connections and things like that. So that is a huge. Uh, benefit and one of the reasons that it drew me to this program versus some of the other DAT programs.
0: All right, so following along those lines the again ISU DAT program, most of this information can be found online at, on their website, but it's a all online except for you have two summer sessions like one first year, one second year session mm-hmm. and those are one week, two weeks.
1: So, the in person is um, typically between three to five days. Three to five days? Um, yeah. So, typically we try to do it over a weekend. And that way, um, it mitigates some of the issues of having to leave work. Um, for example, we're coming up on one now, and it's Thursday through Sunday. So, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We call it a weekend, but it's typically three to five days.
0: I don't know. I haven't researched all of the different programs, but again, for me, for a 17 year professional working in the secondary school, it would have to be one that's predominantly online. And so this one would work. And during the summers, we don't have any responsibilities here. So it would be something where, all right, well, I'm going to take my family for to Indiana for a week or whatever it is. And I'm going to go to, you know, the academic sessions and the learning sessions and they're Mm -hmm. going to hang out and do whatever they want. So the, the time constraint, do, do, most of your, do all of your people have to finish in the two years? Because you said you're starting a new cohort. Do they have to finish in that two-year block?
1: So um, we expect that they finish in the two-year block. Um, there have been examples uh, or situations where a student is not able to complete the degree due to financial reasons or uh, health reasons or things of that nature. And so what we've done in the past is... Um, we've kind of swung them around and put them into the next cohort so that they're still finishing the progression in the same way, but that they're um, not taking the courses uh, out of sequence or when they're not being taught or things like that. Um, The the way that the cohort style and the sequence of courses are set up is that they are iterative, they build on each other, um, and they're not necessarily offered every semester all the time. Some programs are um, offered in that, kind of style, that, that personal uh, learn-as-you-go kind of style. Um, and again, that's based on choosing that versus a cohort based on your value system. It's based on what you are looking for, what's going to fit with your schedule personally. Um, but the way that our program hits the cohort style, we think that it adds that level of community and adds that level of um, collaboration that allows students to kind of come together as a class, as a cohort, and work together throughout the, the curriculum.
0: All right. So Scott Millett was watching live on Facebook and he said, he asked, what about the EDD? So the doctorate, doctorate of education, is that something that we better cover next week with the PhD or is that something you can address here?
1: I think it will probably be better covered in the PhD conversation. Okay. I think when we're, when, again, when we're talking about post-professional pathways um, it's all about what you want to get out of it. So yeah, um, if, you're, if you want to be an advanced practice clinician who has edu- or experience and skills with um, advanced clinical skills, um, leadership, practice leadership, practice-based research, I think the DAT is a perfect option for you. Um, if you are looking to go into education, higher education, um, and, and that higher level, then the EDD might be the option. The DAT is not designed to teach you how to teach people. Um, so it's, there are aspects of our program that help you be a better clinical educator, preceptor, um, uh, educator of those clinical skills, but it's not designed to do what an EDD does. So they're different, um, degrees. And I think that it would be probably a better conversation for next week. Um, when we kind of talk about the PhD and throw a little bit of that EDD stuff in there
0: the DAT, it can't be all roses, can't be all good stuff, right? So there's had to, had to have been some sort of negative feedback you guys have received. Um, so what are some of the things that they said, Hey, I wish I'd learned more about this, or I don't feel like it prepared me for this. You know, maybe you're making changes on those things, but what are some of the things that you guys have seen that have not been so great?
1: So I think one of the, biggest detractors, or detractors is probably the wrong word, but one of the biggest things um, that we've seen is that students aren't necessarily prepared for the rigor of the program. Um, we haven't ever had a student come out and say, I wasn't prepared for this, or I wish that we were taught this. The way that we've designed our program is that it is um, not necessarily a, a bunch of concrete skills, but it's a bunch of uh, concepts that are applicable to your life. So we focus on teaching students how to be that metacognitive thinker, that um, and now, and now analyst, there's the word I was looking for, an analyst of what's going on around you. And then you have the concepts and the ideas to then develop your own change, to make your own decisions. Um, and the concepts are designed to be global so that you're able to apply them in multiple different situations. So I don't necessarily think that students are coming out saying, wow, I wish I'd learn more about this or I wish I'd had, um, I wish we had taught about this. Um, but what we are saying is that students come into the program and go, "Whoa, well, okay, this is difficult. It's supposed to be difficult. When you do difficult things, you train your brain to do difficult things. And so difficult things become easy things. Um, but the program is rigorous on purpose. And when you come out of it, you are a person who can do those things. So, I would say that's probably the biggest thing that we've seen is just that students are um, not yet or not always prepared for the, the level of rigor that we are expecting.
0: I really enjoy that reframing the, the perspective to the figuring out how, how we can do hard things. It's actually something that. I say to my my children my biological children is that we can do hard things and usually it's you know in reference to doing the dishes or sweeping the floor those kind of things whenever they decide that it's too hard to to sweep the floor but we can do hard things we can do hard things you know or even soccer practice sometimes it's really hard and oh, I don't mm-hmm. want to do it we can do hard things it's not like suck it up you're going to go do this it's it's changing we can do hard things we can do hard things I yep. I really like that saying. So talk to me just a little bit more about that, maybe where that came from or some of the ways that you've either seen that play out in your career or you've helped instill that mindset of we can do hard things.
1: This idea of we can do hard things. It's this idea of building resilience. Um, And so the more you do something, the more you learn a skill or you do something, um, you get better at it. And those hard things become easy. Riding a bike is hard for people until they learn how to ride it. Driving a car is difficult until you learn how to drive. Um, and it's the same concept of putting yourself in a position to build the resilience so that when you are faced in the next chapter of your life with an obstacle, because you will, there are, everything can be an obstacle. You're able to look back and say, I've done this before. And I won. I did something hard. I can do this again. Um, and they become, it becomes a mindset. It's not just a, a someone behind you pushing you forward. It becomes a way of life of doing those hard things. So the, the program itself is set up that way. Um, and, and it's been an iterative process, but we've, we've designed it that way so that when you're out in the real world and you're hit with that face of um, your school superintendent says, no, we can't do that. Uh, you look at it and say, well, I've done hard things and I can keep pushing this. this is an obstacle that I can overcome or you're um in a system where you're being uh, you don't feel like you're having efficacy or you're being stifled or something and you can look at it and say this is hard but I can do I can do this and I can make change here um, because I've done it before and I've done hard things before so that's that's where we build that idea of hard things it's not necessarily a class like we don't have a class that's this is how you do hard things it's built into everything you're doing through the program and when you come out of it you can look back and say yeah I did those things and yes I can go forward and do more
0: give me a a real life example of when you personally had to say wait I've done hard things before I can do things hard things again something that you've struggled with so just talking about Scott Mullett Recently, he was on a podcast. Where we were talking about data collection and, and making it tell a story. I was looking yesterday at our data because, again, that's not something that I got when I was in my undergraduate studies or my, mm-hmm. or my bachelor studies. And over the last, I would say, two full academic years because of COVID and whatever it is, has shortened both last year and this year. There was about 5,000 athletic training room logins. And so that doesn't include the things that we're seeing on the field or at the game that we didn't happen to type in. Um, But just taking a look at those and thinking that's a lot of data, that's a lot of information. And, you know, we're looking at maybe changing the way the athletic training room or athletic training facility is set up, and that would require funding from the school board and things like that. And so this ability to do hard things it would be a lot easier to just sit there and write it out, not change the facility, not improve the athletic training in our district, things like that. So this is definitely a a concept that I am seeking is I want to be able to do hard things. I want the skills and the talent to do those hard things that make a difference, that leave an impact, that change. And it's not about me being famous or me, you know, having the, passing high school, Jeremy Jackson athletic training room or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. it's not that I want things named after me. It's I want things to be better. I want to be part of that change. So how, tell me a story about a resilience, a resiliency or a thing, uh, an obstacle a hurdle you almost couldn't overcome, but you were able to stop and look back on your training from your doctorate program.
1: I have a lot of stories about that. But I will focus on I think the one that was most impactful for me, um, and part of that impact was when I decided to get my PhD, um, and why I decided. And we will jump into this I think next week of uh, the why and the and the where. But um, I think when I was in this process, my mind first went to the I, I call it the lazy zone, but that idea of man I could just stop right now and then I'm going to be done and then. This is, you know, i got my DAT and this is it and I, I could be fine. But when I asked myself the question is, what do I want to do? What do I want from my life? Where do I want to be in five, 10, 15 years? Um, the answer aligned with the PhD, but it was this constant balance for me of this is going to be hard to do. This is going to be work. I'm going to have to, to, to take more time to do this, to get where I want to be, or I could live my life. Uh, right now and just be content and, and whatever. And so I was able to take that feeling of, well, I felt this way when I applied for the DAT, but I wanted it. I wanted to, I wanted the mindset. I wanted to um, be that person to be better. And I did it. So this is no different. I can do this. I can put in the work I can put in the hours and I can, I can put myself in the position to, be where I want to be in five, 10, 15 years. I know it's hard, but I've done this already. It's proof. Like I I am physical proof that I've done it and survived and gotten through to the other side. So this looks hard, but I can do it and it won't be hard. I think that was the most impactful, um, moment. I actually got it tattooed on my arm. It's a seal, um, uh, motto this idea of sinking to your level of training okay right? and everything you do in your life is training for the next time you do that in your life and so this idea of doing hard things is training for the next time something hard comes up okay i've already done it like i said it was hard to get on a bike and ride the first time and fall off next time you get on a bike you don't fall as often fourth fifth sixth time you're on a bike you're riding down the street full speed and no nothing can stop you so every single time you you get to the mindset of this is going to be hard. I don't want to do this. And you push through that. You're training your brain again to say, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Instead of living in that world of doubt and world of of denial. All
0: right. So we're going to continue the conversation again, talking about the PhD and then kind of, kind of comparing and contrast the two over the next two weeks, but anything else that you feel like we have left undone about the DAT or maybe some of the frequently asked questions that we can kind of throw out there to help clear up for people?
1: Yeah, I I think one of the biggest things that I wanted to mention is is this idea of value. And and, uh, the deity, um, and we'll come back to it with the PhD and then the conversation about both of them, but the idea of, is this valuable to me? And the the problem with that question is no one can answer that question for you. Um, If your values are aligned with um, being debt free and not taking out loans, as you've spoken earlier, Jeremy, it's going to be a harder decision to do this um uh, an advanced degree program at all, because they all cost money. But I think the argument there is what what are you what is the true value there? So I valued the idea and the mindset of the DOT um, and I valued being a better athletic trainer, and I'm not saying that you don't, but um, the money was worth that value to me. To be honest, you could find a lot of this information on Google. Um, I I saw it on on an Instagram post that you're doing Dave Ramsey's, um, I don't know, course, curriculum. Um, You know, in theory, you could go on to Google and find a lot of that financial help information. But what you're paying for and what I value is the curation of the content and the experience of the people teaching it to guide me to being that better person. So in the same instance with the, the Dave Ramsey stuff, you're, you, the people who are using that, that course are paying for his guidance and experience to do hard things, to show them that it is possible. It takes a lot of will and resilience to be able to sit on your couch by yourself and go, you know what, I'm going to spend three days on Google, collaborating, synthesizing all this information, and then I'm going to make change in my life. Um, If you value that, then that's great. But you could also value the curation and experience. And even though those cost money, the money or the value might be greater than that to some people. To me, it was. I can't make that decision for everybody. I really can't. Um, it's, it's not something that you can just tell someone you need to do this. Um, and I'm not here to tell people everyone needs to get their DAT. Um, and it's really a personal value-based decision, uh, and what you believe for your life. Um, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but you're already a person who is le- uh, learning and, uh, bringing on people even to this podcast to ask them questions and to gain more knowledge and gain more information. Um, If you're the type of person that can continue to do that, you might not need to go through the DAT to continue to be a lifelong learner. Um, But if you're someone who, like you said, wants to to have the experience of of doing that in that mindset in the the, uh, experience of the faculty and the curation of all that content, then yeah, the DATs might be the
0: right choice for you. All right. So if you're struggling to make a change or make an impact and you feel like you need some, an extra push an extra conversation, sounds like the DAT may be just what you need. Again, weigh it out. I think even in the, like in the Facebook post, I have, you know, these are the reasons I talked to my wife. These are the reasons I would do it. These are the reasons I wouldn't do it. And obviously there would be more to add on, on both sides of that list. Um, and so, just take that time as a as you're listening to this podcast. I think, where do I want to be? What questions do I have? And then, you know, hey, get a hold of me. Get a hold of Matt. Get those questions answered. Don't don't just assume. Because Matt said that people applying to their DAT program still ask, which one should I choose and why. And so as people are applying, making this decision, hey, I'm going to just jump in there, throw my money in there, and see if I figure out, see if it fits what I need, stop and consider, is this what I want, where do I want to end up, and and then go from there. So uh, Dr. Matthew Drescher from ISU Indiana State, the Doctorate of Athletic Training Program. Again, first of our conversations, I hope we can help answer any questions that you have and then connect you with the right people to get those, um, get those questions answered, get those problems worked out to, to really understand why you're going to choose the doctorate, why you're going to choose the PhD, or why you're going to choose to stay where you are. So, Matthew, final thoughts before we get your contact information?
1: Final thoughts is uh, be true to yourself and uh, know what you want at your core, and that's going to guide you to where you need to be.
0: One of the things that I want to be most successful at is loving my wife and raising my children. So if getting my doctorate is going to distract me from doing that, then that's a choice that I'm going to have to make to, to choose those over the doctorate. If I can do them both well, then that's when I would proceed. So stay true to yourself. Know what your core values are. Fantastic. Best way to get hold of you, Matt.
1: Um, best way to get a hold of me, uh, email, email is mdresher at sycamores.indstate.edu. All right. um, I'm also on Twitter at at Matt underscore Dresher. Um, and uh, I guess technically get a hold of me on Instagram. I'm at Dresh M. So it's D-R-E-S-C-H-E-M. Like my last name without the R. Uh, But, yeah, those are the three best ways to get a hold of me. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, um, or just want to talk about the DAT more and and whether or not it fits your lifestyle.
0: Good. And then the ISU program, you mentioned that at the beginning. It's ISU and it's A-T-H-L training for Twitter. And then I think it's Indiana State DAT on Instagram. Yes. And then the website –
1: Website is um, indstate.edu slash DAT.
0: Right. And in, in this day, day and age, if you can't just Google isudat and find it, then you can just go to the links and that I'll have in sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash DAT. So again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash DAT. So for Jeremy, Dr. Matthew Dresher, Indiana State University's Doctorate of Athletic Training Program, And the continued conversation we're going to have about continuing education, the sports medicine broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks.